0: Glad you came even though it was raining. All right, guys, turn in your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Luke. Luke 7. Luke 7 and starting in verse 36. Luke 7 and 36. And this is God's Word. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who, who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. You did not anoint my head with oil but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little, and he said to her, "Your sins are forgiven." Then those who were at the table with with him began to say among themselves, "Who is this who even forgives sins?" And he said to the woman, "Your faith has saved you. Go in peace." Let's pray one more time. Father May the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we sing a song regularly around this church called A Debtor to Mercy Alone, A Debtor to Mercy Alone. And uh, you often heard it preached uh, about the sin debt that we have and uh, that we have a debt of love. That's another song that we sing in Alas and Did My Savior Bleed. Um, there's a line that, that talks about the debt of love I owe. And uh, my question to you is, what if the God of this book is like He portrays Himself? What if the God of this book isn't uh, what we've conjured up, but what He has determined to reveal about Himself? What if He really is a consuming fire? What if He really is burning white hot in His purity? What if He really is that? What if He is infinite in that purity so that no creature that ever lived ever comes to the end of his raw excellencies. What if God is really like that? Well, that has uh, forever and immediate implications because uh, we're finite. God is infinite. If he's revealing himself to us and we grasp anything at all about what God is like, we're only grasping a fraction of the reality. And that brings us to our main idea here, which is this. If you're bankrupt, the size of the debt is irrelevant. And that's a really big statement. I mean, um, we'll explore it together. That's a big statement. If you're bankrupt, the size of the debt is irrelevant. So let's go to the first sermon point, which is mm, a certain sort of woman. Look at verse 36, the first one in our passage here. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And Jesus went to the Pharisee's house, took his place at a table. Um, and, of course, it says, behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner comes in, some certain sort of woman. Now, uh, do you know why the Pharisee asked Jesus to come to eat? Want to know why? I don't know why. But, because it doesn't say... You know, but we, but the Bible invites us to kind of surmise because Jesus uses this Pharisee's hospitality as a negative illustration, right? So Jesus says, Hey, uh, I came in. You didn't give me water for my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil. You didn't give me all the common courtesies of the day, a kiss and so on. Um, and so it's a, it's a negative illustration. So you get the idea that the host was a hostile one that he invited Jesus to his house but he didn't uh give him the common courtesies of the day and i think that's uh probably a valid uh valid observation. Uh and so it says here that Jesus took his place uh, at the table in verse 37 and behold a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at at, at a table in a pharisee's house uh she comes on in and uh i don't want to make too big of a deal out of it um but there's this behold and behold, and I know some of your Bible translations don't have the word behold. Uh, Ron Goss has, I think, the word low, don't you have? No, what do you have? Behold. Okay, some of you, it might be New American Standard, uh, has low, um, and I don't want to make too big of a deal out of it. There are lots of beholds in the Bible, and it doesn't necessarily mean, ah, uh, wow. But here, the idea is this. Literally, it means, look, a woman. But it's more like, uh, in our vernacular, it's more like, hey, hey, check it. Check it. Look who walked in. Look at this. Wow. That's the idea. Uh, you know, now listen, you have probably done what Tammy and I have done, which is, um, go to the wrong house at a Christmas party. You ever done that? Who's done that? Is that not wild? Yeah, you know, you're you're dressed up, you got some stuff, it's a Christmas party, you see the cars, you go in, and about the time you're on your second shrimp, you're like, you know, I don't recognize a single person here, and you realize it's seven houses down. You know, so in that something so crazy, man. So listen, you know that feeling how you're you're in someone else's kitchen and it's you're it's you're on the the wrong granite countertop. You know, uh, and uh, so that's that's a weirdity. Not a weirdity in this culture, though. Uh, somebody who is affluent like a Pharisee like this uh, would have had some kind of house where there would be a uh, courtyard, and that's where this would be, have, to, have taken place. A courtyard, a table where people are actually reclining at the table. I mean, literally, like if you go to Sekasui or somewhere where you can sit down on those little tables, it's your, your arm on the table, feet out, uh, dining with your friends and so on. That's the kind of scene. And if you've ever been to like India or somewhere where it's Eleven o'clock at night, and it's just as busy as as eleven o'clock in the morning. I mean, if you've ever seen another culture where it's just everything's open and people are coming and going, it's that kind of a thing. It's a very warm, open culture, and so there would have been a courtyard, and uh, it was it was not uncommon for people to wander into the courtyard, not sit at the table or anything like that, but uh, sit on the outskirts, listen to the conversation, and so on. And uh, so the meal is only semi-private. All that to say it wasn't that uncommon for somebody to wander on in. Not that uncommon for a woman to be on the outskirts and, and, and paying attention, but it would have been highly uncommon for a woman who was a stranger not invited to this dinner to come all the way up to the table. Oh, and by the way, she's a notorious sinner uh, known to the community, uh, and she interacts with a guest. Uh, she uh she comes to Jesus uh, and she has an alabaster flask of ointment. Verse 38, it says, she stands behind him, weeping, begins to wet his feet with her tears and so on. Um, and that's a, that's a pretty dramatic scene there. Now, this is not the same story as in John 12 when Mary, uh, Martha's sister and Lazarus' sister, uh, does something similar. Not the same story, not the same person. Some people here think that this might be Mary Magdalene. To which I say that's probably idiotic because if it were Mary Magdalene, it would have been very easy to say that. There were lots of ladies all over the place and lots of ladies that would have been in this woman's uh, reputation. Uh, The only thing we know about her, in fact, is her reputation. Her category of life was that she was low life. In this culture, for a woman to be a notorious sinner very likely meant that she was in the sex trade. So imagine that. Uh, imagine, um, Dr. Young having a barbecue and, uh, a prostitute comes in and starts messing with his Velcro sandals, uh, in the yard. You can imagine that would be quite shocking. Well, look what she does here. She uh, grabs a flask and she wets her, wets his, uh, pour, pours perfume over him and so on. And, and uh, they're reclining at the table and so on. And, and you know what's interesting? Uh, you don't have to turn. Let me just jump there real fast. But um, this is a, a psalm I rather love. It's about Christian unity. Uh, but it, it's in Psalm 133. Don't turn. I'm already there. It says, uh, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down the collar of his robes. I mean, that's how you anoint someone with oil. This was a different culture. This was a showerless culture, ladies and gentlemen. They didn't have 47 pairs of shoes. They had one change of clothes. Some had only one set of clothes. So uh, when somebody would anoint someone with oil or with something fragrant, uh, you wouldn't want to waste it. You would want to maximize the uh, olfactory uh, controlling effect. <laughs> so you pour it on someone's head and it runs down and and you enjoy this thing. Well, what does she do? I don't want to overplay the point, but I think it's very interesting. I think even Jesus says it. He says, hey, you didn't anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet I mean, talk about an extravagant gift. She didn't pour it down here for maximum uh, potential. She spilled it out on the lowest place. She poured it on his feet. I mean, it was just this sacrificial, extravagant uh, gesture. Now, uh, concerning this scene, uh, verse 39, let's go back to it. Uh, When the Pharisee saw all this, he said to himself, so he's thinking to himself, right? He said to himself, if this man were a prophet he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner now it does seem like this invitation was hostile then doesn't it i mean this pharisee's thinking to himself and he's thinking these things he's thinking uh, hey if this guy's a prophet he would know so uh there's this hostility going on, and so he's 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 thinking about it, and, and he's thinking about this moral separation that the Pharisee puts between himself and this woman. It was revolting for Jesus to even be touched by her, is his idea. In verse 40, Jesus answers him, and this is just awesome. Um remember, the guy's thinking, well, if he's a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this is. He's thinking that. Jesus answers his thought. And says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he says, say it, teacher. And, uh, Jesus goes on with this story and, and it, it must dawn on Simon, huh, isn't that interesting? What Jesus is saying and doing and the way he's behaving is a lot like, I don't know, a prophet. (laughs) Well, how's, how does this apply to our lives? Uh, this is, uh, an epic scene. Uh, A comparison is being made in the scriptures here. It's being recorded so that we would see something. You have these two diametrically opposed things. You have in this story, ladies and gentlemen, the perceived most moral person of the day, the Pharisee. And you have the perceived most immoral person of the day, the woman of ill repute. You have the two human extremes in one epic story. And you see that there are two stances. One stance is, look how valid I am in my good behavior. And the other stance is, this is how invalid I am. Invalid. Invalid. Now, before we go further, I want to be very careful to point something out to you. And then I'll give you an application here. Um, I don't want you to be tripped up. Let me ask you a question. What brought the woman to this house in the first place? Was it faith or a lack of faith? What was it? Obviously, faith. Um She hears that Jesus was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house. Quick, she snatches up this alabaster flask of ointment and she goes. Why did she go? She went in faith, right? She went with intent. She went to worship. She went in faith. So that's very important for you to understand because when we read verse 50... If you don't have a right context, it's very easy to go, well, okay, I got a I got me some kind of new gospel here. Look at verse 50. Jesus said to the woman, "Your faith has saved you. Go in peace." Do not think that Jesus is saying, "Oh, you committed a good act here with the weeping uh, and the perfume and your your tears and your perfume have bought you the ticket into heaven." Don't think that's teaching it. It's not. He's not saying because of what you did, your sins are forgiven. He's saying, hey, woman, you're a woman of faith. Your sins are forgiven. Weep no more. (laughs) That's what he's saying. She came in faith to the house, ladies and gentlemen. That's critical for you to understand uh, this, this whole scene. Now, concerning these two diametrically opposed views, the most perceived moral person of the day, most perceived immoral person of the day, I'm so valid, I'm invalid. Here's a, here's a tweet from your Bloodworth feed, uh, your Twitter account, Bloodworth Life. Sin controls people with two opposite lies. Here's lie number one. You're not ruined. That's a lie. That's what the, that's where the Pharisee is. You're not ruined. Hey, you know? I mean, it's true, nobody's perfect, but, uh, I am a Pharisee. I mean, I'm a religious leader of the day. My righteousness is here. I check all the boxes that I can and I'm a pretty good person is what I'm thinking. Uh, that's a lie. That you're not ruined is a lie. That's how sin controls. The other, the other one is on the other end of the spectrum. It's the, it's the other one. That you can't be restored. The sinner goes, ugh. If you only knew what has passed through my heart and mind. If you only knew the things that I've said and done. If you don't know, if you only knew the dark places my soul, my body, my mind, my emotions have gone, then you would go, ugh, grace can't help this one. That's a lie, ladies and gentlemen. It's a lie that you're not ruined. It's a lie that you can't be restored. The gospel is what corrects those things. The gospel says, no, you are ruined. Completely ruined. Not acceptable, not suitable. If the God of this book is really the way he says he is, you're ruined. But, grace must add side by side with that, God has made the provision unto himself whereby you can be cleaned up and repaired, whereby the righteousness of God can be applied to your account and the bad things that you are and have said and done and the swirlings around in your heart can be forgiven and you can be restored. That is the full gospel message, ladies and gentlemen. You're ruined, but restoration is provided you in Jesus Christ. There's no gospel presentation without both those things. All right, our next point. Perception makes all the difference. Uh, look at verse 40 and 41. Uh, Jesus answering Simon's uh, ponderings. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon says, say it, teacher. So Jesus uh, tells him this little story. The story is, well, this money lender has two debtors. And one uh, owed the debtor 500 denarii and the other 50. Well, to put that in modern-day terms, uh, 50 denarii, but uh, one, one denarii is about a day's worth of pay, okay? And I'm, I mean like a hard day's worth of pay, not like America uh, where, you know, eight to five and you get a little lunch and a couple coffee breaks and uh, like that. I mean all day, every day, uh, sunrise to sunset, a hard day's work, one denarii, all right? So, uh, think about it. You got one debtor, and to, for him to pay off this debt is about fifty solid days of hard work. All right, and you know that doesn't include pay, paying your own bills and stuff like that, and uh, and all that. So think about it: fifty days of hard labor to pay off this debt. That's one. That's debtor number one. The other debtor, five hundred denarii. You're talking about a year and a half. Every day, all day, a year and a half to pay off this debt. That's a big debt. And uh, so <clears throat> Jesus says, hey, when both of them couldn't pay, the, the money lender canceled the debt of both of them. Which do you think is more thankful? And Simon goes, well, since you forced me into an answer here, Jesus, I suppose the one who was given to forgive the, the, the bigger debt. And Jesus says, yeah. But well, the point Jesus is setting up here, ladies and gentlemen, is the idea of Perception. It, it, it's uh, acuity, it's, it's uh, insight. Uh, there's, a, there's a spiritual reality parable that Jesus is trying to make here. And uh, if you wanna flip real quick to 1 Corinthians, just go right about a, I don't know, eighth of an inch, quarter of an inch, uh, go right to 1 Corinthians chapter two. I have led you to this passage, I don't know how many times, a zillion times, but it's so important and so valuable uh, and so critical for you to be able to see uh, what the scriptures teach in in chapter two of First Corinthians, verse ten, um, it says these uh, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Okay, with a capital S, that's the Holy Spirit. Continuing on, for the Spirit, the Holy Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And so, figure, it's very easy to understand. Verse eleven: For who knows a, a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? Right? Do I know your thoughts? No, you know your thoughts. Only you know your own thoughts. That's what this is saying. You, this, your spirit knows your thoughts. God's Holy Spirit knows God's thoughts. Continuing on. So no one can t- comprehend the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God, verse 12. Now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit with a capital S who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural man, the natural person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So you see the clarity with which the Bible handles this point. You can't know anything unless God reveals it to you. And the way he reveals it to you is in his Spirit, so perception makes all the difference. That's what Jesus is saying here. One perceives one's debt. The other doesn't perceive the debt. And he's saying basically, hey, Pharisee, you're too blind to even know that you are in debt while this woman, well, this worshiping woman sees it. Now, uh, just a couple more things and uh, we got we to step on the gas here. Um, I, I think I told you this a, a few years ago, but... Uh, when I went on a mission trip to Ukraine, um, not really sure what I did there. I looked at some buildings, and I looked at some other buildings, and then got on a bus and saw some more buildings. But, uh, but then there was a layover, and uh, there was a layover in Vienna, and sadly, my wife was not with me on this thing. It was like 15 years ago. It was a long time ago. Uh, Tammy wasn't with me, and uh, that's depressing to have a layover in Vienna without your loved one, you know? So, but... I camped out for a day and a half and I walked around Vienna and it was kind of, it was really I went to a palace and saw a Mozart concert and all this stuff. It was really pretty cool, okay? And uh so one of the things I did is uh, anybody been to Vienna? Who's been to Vienna? Oh cool. You've been to Schoenbrunn? Oh yeah, you know, so I took a tour to Schoenbrunn, which is this palace. This palace. And uh so you to get on the bus and you drive aways and you go to Schoenbrunn and they put a like a tourist sticker on you. So I've got this tourist sticker. And, uh, so anyway, I go to the, I go to Schoenbrunn and it, it was really cool. They plop me back off. It's one in the afternoon and I'm in Vienna. It's my last thing. And so, my last day. And so I thought, you know, what am I going to do? I'm all by myself and, uh, I'm just going to walk around and pretend like I live in Vienna. That was my plan. Was to be very impressive looking, uh, to act like I wasn't wearing khakis. And uh just to walk around in a hurry, looking at my watch a lot like I'm late for a meeting in Vienna because I obviously work here and live here and am very at ease with myself and everybody looks like me, freckled, skin cancer, you know. They're all like look just like me. And uh so I'm booking it through Vienna. Oh, Janetta, we were there together. What about that? So I'm I'm walking through Vienna thinking I'm super cool, you know, and I ate outside at a cafe that night by myself. Ha ha ha. It was great. Own the place. I get back to the hotel, it's like 10.30 at night, been to this Mozart concert and everything, and I'm like, man, I'm a cool guy, urban, that's what I am, urban. And I look in the mirror, and I'm still wearing that idiotic sticker. (laughs) All day long, I thought it was so cool. I was a big dork. Um, Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, here's, here's the problem. Here's a quote for you from Arkent Hughes. He says, we try to persuade God to accept the currency of our own making. That's what this Pharisee is doing. He's got a currency of his own making. He's saying, hey, God, you want something good? Well, I got something good. This is my currency. This is what I think you want. And Jesus' point about perception here is the Pharisee doesn't know he has a big guilty-before-a-holy-God sin-debt sticker on his shirt. He, think he's, he thinks he's under control. He thinks he's got something God wants, and he's the last one that doesn't know that that's not how grace works. All right, our last point, um, love. Oop, what the heck? Oh, hang on. Uh, uh, hold on. All right, love flows, let's see if that'll hold, from a forgiven heart. Uh, verse 44. Uh, Jesus turns toward the woman. I love this. He turns to the woman, but he says to Simon, do you see this woman? So he's looking at her. There she is. He's going, he's looking at her. Simon, do you see this woman? He, isn't it cool? He's this personal connection. Do you see this woman? Um, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. That's a custom. Um, Yes, she she uh, cried on my feet and wiped them her, with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she's kissed my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet. I mean, common courtesies of the day, like when you walk into the house and you shake somebody's hand, that's like a common courtesy. You ever been in a situation like this where, Sam, try to shake my hand, I'm like... <laughs> And Sam's like, he won't even shake my hand. That's a that's a cu- big cultural thing when a guy goes like this and another guy goes, mm-mm, I won't do it. That's basically what this Pharisee is doing. He's saying, come on into my home. But I'm not going to say, throw your coat on the bed in the guest room. Would you like something to drink? Hey, everybody's out back around the grill. Okay? None of that's happening. It's just this hostile offering and uh, and so th- this woman demonstrates all these sweetnesses to Jesus, and he's basically saying to, the, to Simon, hey, if you saw your guilt, you'd be grateful. What this lady sees and knows is her guilt and the forgiveness of her guilt, and it's turned her into a worshiper. He's not saying, ladies and gentlemen, I tell you, her sins are forgiven because she did a thing for me. She did a trick. She gave me some perfume and tears. He's not saying that. He's saying, love flows from a forgiven heart. Now, application for your life. Um, I had to pick a, uh, you know, this is a, a very well-known passage, and if you run into a fellow um, a word handler, um, it's often called the nameless woman. The nameless woman in uh, Luke 7. Oh, yeah, the nameless woman in Luke 7. And indeed, she is nameless, and it adds a lot of power to the story, because all we know about her is a reputation. So it, it's it's an amazing story. When you have a nameless character in the Bible, it's always fascinating and always something that's supposed to point us toward what God is doing, all right? But you've got this nameless woman. So, but do I call it, what do I call it? Oh, the nameless woman. I call it the grateful woman. That's, the, in, in all my notes, in all my files, on that manila folder, it says the grateful woman uh, because that's that's what I really wanna get across is that love flows from a forgiven heart. Now, I got a video for you and a closing remark. So, sin says to your soul that you're not ruined and that you can't be restored. Grace says you are ruined and the ultimate and final and forever restoration can be yours through the cross. Let's pray. Our Father, Father, um, we're so humbled by grace. we are It's just staggering. And um, as we grow up in our faith and as we understand who you are more clearly and who we are more clearly, oh, how great is the need for the cross and how full its sufficiency. Thank you for our Savior. And my prayer is, Lord, that you'll draw each one of us to your own self in your own way, in your own time, that we might see the great debt that has been paid and uh, might our gratitude flow in happy love. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, you guys.